welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Hey, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Blake. Appreciate it. So you have an incredible story and we're just going to like dive right in. We're not going to do the whole like beating around the conversation. I just want to like jump in because I think that your story is really incredible and impactful. So to start telling a little bit about yourself and your family, and then I want to hear about your story and the heart behind your book and everything. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, I grew up and still live in Dallas, Texas. My parents were in the nightclub business early on. My grandfather had a restaurant that was called the Italian Village in the early 40s. And so when my dad, when when he was about 20, 22, 23, my grandfather got remarried and went on vacation. And while my grandfather was gone on a I think a six week vacation, my dad decided to remodel the restaurant without his permission. (laughs) It would be close to spending about $300,000 in today's dollars. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. So he turned it into a nightclub and it ended up being the first nightclub in Texas. And it was, it went bonkers. I mean, day one. And so my grandfather, when he came back and he said, well, I want to check on the restaurant. My dad picked him up from the airport and he he was like, uh, uh, (laughs) brought him back and there were lines out the door. And my grandfather was like, what in the world? So my dad ended up taking over the restaurant and the club that was inside the restaurant and um, really pushed my parents to be millionaires overnight. So I grew up, I mean, they were millionaires when they were 23. I grew up in Highland Park. That would be kind of like the Beverly Hills of Dallas. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the best place. It's kind of, if you are familiar with the uh, Real Housewives of Dallas, that's kind of where they all live. Yeah. <laughs> Not <that that's laughs> a great show to reference, but anyways. I mean, <laughs> so um, my parents lived that kind of life in the fast lane for about 10 years. And um, I think my parents were both pretty miserable. They had, my dad had, huge amount of success. He uh, went back and forth from Vegas. The Axe went back and forth. He helped discover some people. It was, he'd really pretty much done everything he could in his line of business and was empty and ended up getting saved. He was making a commercial at Channel 39 and Pat Robertson had recently taken it over and ended up getting saved through that. Hmm. And my father, one day, Pat Robertson was in the restaurant and said, you know, I think you ought to take the alcohol out. And my dad was like, why? And he said, no, it's really ruining your witness. And my dad was like, witnessing what? Well, the next, I mean, I think that night, my dad was just so uh, overwhelmed with the amount of horrible things that were going on in his bar and he closed it. And Hmm. that one decision just triggered a tsunami of a mess and it made not only the local news it made the national news and it totally embarrassed my grandparents and they were not saved in fact my grandparents uh, they're full-blood Italians and lived a very very different lifestyle than a Christian let's just put Mm -hmm. it that way they ended up disowning my dad that whole thing with the you know you're dead to me it's real the Italian family yeah (laughs) 
So I experienced the first estrangement with my grandparents and I was about five or six when this all happened. So after that, that kind of planted a seed in my family of when things don't go right, you break the relationship and you walk mm -hmm. away. And of course, you know, being that my grandparents were not Christians, you can kind of understand that mentality. Mm -hmm. My parents were grieved and tried to do everything they could to make it right, but it never, that never happened. My grandparents died with me never really knowing them. Mm. So that was never resolved. Well, fast forward into our own family system, just to let you know, just because you're Christian, it doesn't make you healthy. Mm. <laughs> between justification and sanctification justification is when you get saved that's you know that you have been saved by god's grace sanctification is different in that it is a daily take up your cross and follow him mm -hmm. and sanctification means that you are working on yourself and you're really working on um, strongholds and mm -hmm. generational curses things that have happened well, I think my parents, neither one of them grew up in, you know, Christian families. And so they were just doing everything they could to survive. They kept the restaurant for a little while. My dad turned it into a Christian restaurant. And after that, it just, Christians don't tip well, let me just say. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> that didn't last too long. So my dad ended up with no job. It was an ex-millionaire with no job. And my dad, we had started going to a church in Oak Cliff. And that was kind of the rough part of town. But there was just this huge move of God in the 70s. That was the Jesus movement. And that's when they got saved was, I think, 72. 1972. And so my church asked my dad if he wanted to come on staff there, <laughs> not as a pastor, but as the janitor. Oh. <laughs> so my dad took it. Of course, we had, they had to get rid of their house in Holland Park. They barely got rid of it. The IRS was about to take it. They sold it. We moved. So I grew up, uh, went from my parents, you know, being millionaire shopping at Neiman's for us to start thrifting. So we went to thrift stores to get yeah. clothes. My, my sisters are older and they, they ended up in the rich years more than I did. I'm, I'm <laughs> a thrifter by heart. Yeah. Learned that early. So, but my dad ended up moving up to be an associate pastor. Uh, and over his 30 year career, he was in four mega churches and he was associate pastor of two of those mega churches in Dallas. Wow. So I grew up as mostly in a fishbowl. And mm. if there is any kind of, you know, I think my parents, because they had lost, you know, their living the first round and it was devastating. And I think they were very fearful to make sure that our family, you know, lived that perfect image that we all, um, look like the perfect family. And it was incredibly stressful. There was kind of those unwritten rules. You don't talk about anything outside of the family. You do as you're told, you will be the Christian godly girl that you're supposed to be, no ifs, ands, or buts. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I was, my sisters and I were all high achievers. We never drank, smoked, ran around, nothing. We were yeah. perfect. And it was incredibly frustrating for my parents. They're like my friends that they're, you know, my parents would have friends and their kids would be my age. And, you know, they would say, why can't you be like Julie? Mm. And it was very frustrating for my friends who uh, were in the church, you know, because I just all, all three of us um, were just had this perfect image, you know, as I've listened to some of your, your shows and, and, you know, at the beginning you said, well, I made, you know, the crappy Christian here is because we let it all hang out, you know, and there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. Well, I'm telling you are right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't. And, um, you know, that perfect image eventually cracked. 
Mm. And I was angry. I was really angry. There were so many things swept under the rug, things that were not resolved, a lot of anger. That sanctification process probably had not really, you know, there wasn't that kind of information back then. Um, You know, there wasn't podcasts, there wasn't all these books, there wasn't, there wasn't that kind of, and my parents, neither one really had time to go into counseling. Um, And, you know, I, I I have forgiven my parents and I want to not throw them under the bus, but there was just a lot of stuff going on in my family that was unhealthy. Yeah. Um, And I I do want to say that there was nothing in a sexual nature. Um, It was in other directions, but I, you know, it ended up where, um, let's see about, oh, let's see, I got married and maybe a year or two later, my oldest sister left the family. Mm. That was another estrangement. That was the second one. Um, just things were not resolved. Everyone, you know, there's just a lot of pride, anger, unforgiveness, um, just things that had strongholds that had passed down from generations before. Mm -hmm. And those were more powerful than the gospel. And, um, I am just here to tell you that Christian families, you know, I think what I experienced back then about being in the fishbowl, everyone experiences now because of social Mm -hmm. media. So the mm-hmm. stress that I feel felt back as a child, everyone feels today. There's mm-hmm. that, you know, that force to be a perfect person and to have a perfect image. And um, so it uh, eventually it all fell apart and I got sick. And um, I, when my, after my first sister left, then I got, let's see, it was in 2000 and uh, 2009 or two thousand. Well, actually in 2000, I was first diagnosed with what they call proctitis and it's a form of ulcerative colitis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being the perfect child, your body was like life. eating itself. Yeah. It was all, I would internalize everything. And, yep. you know, maybe some of you all that are listening right now, you understand you've, you know, if you grew up or you're supposed to be the people pleaser and that Christians are supposed to, you know, smile and, and do everything they're supposed to do and make peace at all costs. That's not really biblical. Mm -mm. And I know one of your favorite guests is Gary Thomas. Mm -hmm. If you've, you know, listened to him and he, you know, talks about, you know, just that people pleaser thing does not work. No. And, um, you know, in his book, when to walk away, there was, it came to that point in my life. I am the poster child for the Christian family. And I'm also the poster child for Gary Thomas's book. Yeah. Uh, when to walk away. So eventually, uh, in 2009, I got Crohn's disease and, uh, I was so sick. I had gotten down, I'd lost 30 pounds and, um, I, could not tolerate food. I was pretty sure I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at that point, I, if you don't know what Crohn's disease, let me explain a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Crohn's disease is kind of like a stomach bug an ulcer and food poisoning all at once. <laughs> it can affect you anywhere from your mouth all the way down to the rectum. Mm. And it had eaten up quite a bit of my colon. The, the day that I went in to get the colonoscopy, I just thought for sure I wasn't going to make it. And in fact, I was so miserable. I just wanted to die. I was, I, the relationship with my parents had been, just had gotten toxic. It went from difficult to toxic. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I was trying to hide it and just trying to continue to be that people pleaser and smile and be the perfect Christian. And it, and that's when it all fell apart was that day. And um, I woke up from the colonoscopy and the nurse said, you have Crohn's disease. We are going to take out your colon and you're going to have a bag for the rest of your life. And she walked mm. out the door. What a bedside manner. I know. Can you believe that? <laughs> that was it. There was no, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Here's a way to, you know, help you. Here's a support group. Here's, you know, she's, and she said, oh, your colon looks like hamburger meat, by the way. And it was just like, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Okay. So that was my wake up call. And I was left alone and I had never felt more alone in my life than that day. And I was, you know, list, laying in the hospital bed. And it was at that point I decided to leave my family. And that's when I decided to walk away. Mm. And so was it of that moment, like what was the deciding factor for you? Well, I think because from 2000 to 2009, I had tried all these different, I mean, you can't imagine how much money I spent trying to find all these different remedies. I, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to even tell you all the stuff I tried. Yeah. Um, the, the one that worked the most was a diet that I did and I still had to take medicine, but the diet just basically held it off. And I, I had tried everything possible to get the Crohn's under, you know, under, well, it was colitis at that point until that day it turned into Crohn's. Mm -hmm. um, colitis is the lower portion of your colon. Crohn's is the whole extended colon from your yeah. rectum. Um, and, and so I, I had been doing everything I could to keep it under control and I just could no longer keep it under control. And I think the scales just fell off my eyes. And I, it was like, I knew I was so angry at my parents. I was bitter. I was, um, I hated them. I mm -hmm. really, absolutely. And I remember telling my mother in fourth grade that I absolutely hated her mm. and I got in really big trouble for it. But the, the seed from fourth grade until, um, you know, until 2009 had just grown and yeah. I, unforgiveness was a, just a big thread in my family. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't blame anybody but myself, but it was, it, it was, and it still is a stronghold that is, um, that, that you don't realize it's happening at the time. Mm -hmm. It's just the way things are in your family. And it's very dysfunctional. How it Do you happen. retrospectively feel like you, that was the right decision at the time? I've had a lot of people ask me that. And it, you know, for me, it came down to, um, my colon or my parents and my whole family. And yeah. I made the right decision because absolutely. Yeah. And I know, like, I, I love that your story ends in redemption and reconciliation. And I want to talk about that, but I also think right. it's always important to just make the point that like, sometimes the right thing is to walk away. And sometimes yes. it's your family, which is the hardest people to walk away from, or it's yeah. people or it's a friendship or it's a job or it's a work relationship. And we've already mentioned Gary Thomas. That's my go-to. Mm -hmm. like anytime somebody's yeah. struggling with this, I'm like, here's this book, read yeah. it. It'll change your life. And then yeah. you can make a decision. You and God can make a decision, yeah. but yeah. Um, and he talks, he defines between difficult relationship and toxic. Yes. And mine had gone to toxic. Yes. By every check mark in the book. And, yes. you know, and so that's what, this is not a pretty story. I, you know, this is why this makes me such a crappy Christian. <laughs> <laughs> you fit right in. 
<laughs> because I had to walk away. This is not a pretty, you know, this is not a story I can wrap up in a nice bow, really. Even the ending of my story has still some mess to it, which we'll get mm-hmm. to. But um, it's just not a pretty story. As a Christian, I had to walk away from my family to save myself. Mm-hmm. And God to save me, really. He's the one that interrupted my life and saved me because mm-hmm. of it. And walking away as I will explain, turned out to be the very best thing possible. And I, and it's not like I'm, I'm recommending everybody else do that because right. I'm responsible for that. No. Um, and but I would, it's also like giving people the freedom yes. to at least have the conversation that it may be what even temporarily is what needs to be done. What, what did that season look like being estranged from your family? Well, it was, it, it didn't happen right away because I made the decision in that bed that day, but of course I had to convince my husband of it and he wasn't there yet. And so there was a gap between that time and it, our relationship continued to just go downhill and we tried counseling. So I do want to answer that before we go to what it looks like being estranged, but we did try counseling. We tried everything with my parents and nothing Mm -hmm. worked. And it came to the point where I was sinning more being in a relationship with them. Yes. I could not, not sin because I awakened and I was so angry Mm -hmm. and everything spewed out because I was not allowed to say anything for my whole childhood and everything that I'd ever said spewed. And so, um, there was a big to do between my husband and my dad, and I won't go into the detail, but that's what broke it. And my husband finally said, yeah, we're leaving. Yeah. And so getting my husband on board was another thing. And then, um, it was, we had prayed about it and you know, how do you pray about walking away from your family? That is, seems so unchristian. And so my husband is a deacon at our church. Um, and we thought this is going to look so bad. You know, how do you explain this to your family? You know, your other parts of your family. There was, I was only talking to one sister that had already walked away. Mm. Um, and that was it. I talked a little bit to my middle sister, but it was too hard because she was ended up being like what they call a flying monkey where, you know, information was getting transferred between us. It just yeah. wasn't healthy. Yeah. So I ended up having to walk away from her. It was incredibly painful because my sister really hadn't done anything to me. My middle yeah. sister, um, I lost, uh, my kids lost cousins. The family holidays were never the same. It was embarrassing. There was a lot of shame. Um, just, and I just want to say, if you walk away, that doesn't mean that you're trading something into glory. You trade one set of problems for another. Yes. It has its whole other mess and it's not easy. I mean, it's like you're backed up against the wall and, and I was really angry. I got put in that corner that I had to make this. I was made, I was mad at my parents that I even had to choose. Yeah. Um, because it's not a decision a child should have to make. No, I never wanted to walk away from my family. So it's really no secret that I struggle with mental health. I've talked really openly about being on and off antidepressants and my battle with anxiety and PTSD. But one of the most important moves I have made in my mental health journey has been getting into counseling. 
this is why I partner with Faithful Counseling. I know that getting into therapy can be overwhelming and intimidating, but Faithful Counseling offers online Christian counseling where you can get the help and guidance you need to walk through your struggles with Christ at the forefront. In a matter of minutes, you can get matched with a counselor and begin connecting with them via text, video, or phone calls. Faithful Counseling is drastically more affordable than traditional face-to-face therapy, and they price on a sliding scale. I've also partnered with them to offer you 10% off of your first month when you sign up by visiting getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian. You can get the help you need today with Faithful Counseling and do it all from the comfort of your couch. Okay, if you love this podcast, if you love Confessions of a Crappy Christian, did you know that there's a whole crappy Christian community that exists outside of this podcast? Yep, and it's awesome. The Collective is a private membership group for people who want to grow in their understanding of scripture and want to have real-life conversations about the stuff that is happening in our day-to-day. Every month in The Collective, we cover a different topic that impacts all of us through a biblical lens. So for example, right now we are covering biblical sexuality, and it's not too late to join us. And you can also get access to next month's conversation about grace versus law and the freedom Christ died to grant us. So for $27 a month, you get four additional podcast episodes, along with access to the freaking incredible Facebook community where people are doing life together, learning together, praying for one another, and cheering one another on. The Collective is honestly my favorite part of my job, no offense to the million other parts, and we would love to have you join us. Sign up is super easy. You just need to visit crappychristianco.com slash community for more information and to join us today. We'd love to have you. Okay, let's get back to the show. There was a part of me that was like, I'm never going back. This is so awful. And then the other part was, this is going to shake them up so bad. Mm-hmm. That will be the wake up call. Three girls walked away and it's going to look so bad on them. And I felt really guilty because, you know, it, some of my parents' friends thought it was sexual in nature and it wasn't. And it looked yeah. really bad on my dad. Um, so there was a lot of guilt from that. Um, it, 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 it wasn't like it was a cure-all. So, um, it wasn't until I really got into counseling and I started working out me and I would love to tell you that it's all somebody else, but until you work on yourself, um, things don't change. I had to learn how to stop being a people pleaser, how to set boundaries, healthy boundaries, not revenge. Mm-hmm. I, I had just had to do the work and I was mad. I had to do the work. Right. It didn't seem fair. It, you know, it was like, well, they're the adult, you know, I'm the adult child, but they're the parents. They're the one that's supposed to change. Yeah. But I had to put that all at the door and say, God, I leave this. I leave this with you. I am going to work on me and I'm going to work on the unforgiveness and I'm going to work on the anger and I'm going to work on the bitterness and I'm going to work on setting boundaries. And that wasn't just setting boundaries. And my parents had to learn, you know, when you're a people pleaser, you, you're a people pleaser everywhere. Right. And, um, so I had to, you know, I was even trying to please the dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, I just couldn't do it all anymore. I started setting boundaries and saying no to things and, and trying to be the person that God called me to be. It wasn't until I walked away from my family that, you know, cause I just was an extension of my parents and the Ventura family. And it wasn't until then that I understood who I was in Christ um, and it was amazing because I thought my, my friends were going to judge me and my friends were so good to me, wrapped their arms around me. It was, God showed me more love during that time of estrangement. Mm-hmm. I really did not understand God's love. 
I thought because I was such a perfectionist and I had this laundry list, I was a Pharisee. I mean, I was a Pharisee to the core. I had a laundry mm. list why I was so good. And it was really bad having this, you know, on my card, you know, I had this perfect report card of straight yeah. A's. And then I had this estrangement X, big black yeah. X on me. And, um, so it was really incredible to see how God loved me through it. Yeah. So you, what, you know, you have this medical experience, you, you get your husband on board, y'all make the decision. And I love what you said about your trading one set of problems for another. Uh, we have a very similar family dynamic to what you're talking about. Um, so you, you have to do the work yourself. So then how did that ever come back around to deciding to reconcile with your family? Well, I needed to get, and let me follow up on the Crohn's part because, you know, last I left you in the story, I was going to have a colostomy and have mm. a bath the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it, after I got into counseling and after I started healing emotionally, it started healing my body. And when mm -hmm. you know, within a year, I was able to eat whatever I wanted. And it had not, I had not been able to eat whatever I wanted since 2000. Yeah. And so that was almost 10, 11 years of not being able to eat really a normal diet. Yeah. So I, it took, it was a seven year estrangement and it really took that long for God to heal me. Mm -hmm. um, and in the middle of the estrangement, my dad had a heart attack and I did go see him because I thought he might die. And so I saw him in the hospital and I thought at that point when I saw him, God started really working on me. And I don't know if God had really been working on my parents then or not. But they, God did, of course, work on them as well. But I think when I, in the middle of the estrangement, when I saw my dad at the hospital, that was the first sign of my heart cracking and the, I could look at my dad as different. I looked at him, you know, he was all wired up. He wasn't scary to me. You know, he was just a little boy inside mm. a man's body. I saw him differently. And I realized that I could go back, but it wasn't, it took seven years for that to happen. And it was interesting, 2016, in 2016, when uh, it was Christmas again, and I know that the holidays are especially difficult for people who are estranged. It, mm -hmm. it just from October to December, you know, Easter's kind of bad, maybe, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, that's kind of hard too, but from October to December, is very difficult um, because everybody's talking about what they're going to do with their family. And, you know, and, and then it comes around to you, what are you doing with your family? Mm, you know, one side of my family, I'm going to this. Yeah. And it just brings up lots of questions. And I prayed in 2016 that God would, that this would be the last time, the last holiday that I would ever have to go through this. And so God mm -hmm. had been really talking to me and my husband about going back and, um, you know, you know, the thing is, is that I had burned every bridge possible. It was, there was no way back mm. and I did not want to go to their house. I know they didn't want to go to mine. I did not see a way possible across this, this deep cavern, this, you know, deep cavern of this gully between us. And so, um, in, in 2017, early January, I felt like God was telling me to fast. And I had been like, God, I've been praying and I've been, you know, all this time. Why do I need to fast? Why is starving myself going to help? <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, they, he 
uh, I fasted on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And also during that time I was at BSF. Um, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I just fasted on that Tuesday and a Wednesday. And um, I, I prayed for God to talk to my dad in a dream. And my dad, uh, I just thought, well, you know, he's kind of stubborn, stubborn Italian. He's not, not going to listen to you during the day. Maybe he'll listen to you at night when he's sleeping. Yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday. And when you know God talked to him that Thursday mm. and he called Friday after seven years, he, he called that Friday after I fasted for two days. Now, I mean, there's just no way to explain this. No, no. So um, it was, it was, it was truly a miraculous intervention because we needed somebody to stand in the gap in the middle to bring us together. And it was truly God. I yeah. Mean, believe in God now until now. I mean, there's just no way around it. Nobody knew I was fasting. What was really interesting as I found out later is that my middle sister was fasting the exact same time. Nobody wow. knew. Wow. And, uh, you, know, you know, I want to bring up the scripture about fasting because um, many times that is what happens when you break, you need to break strongholds. Uh, and, and, and maybe you've got a family, you know, situation where you have prayed and prayed and prayed and begged God over and over and over again. What can, you know, you do? Let me bring up Isaiah 58, 6. It says, is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke mm. um, over and over again. Moses fasted for 40 days before he got the Ten Commandments. Jesus fasted in the desert when he was tempted by Satan. The early church fasted before appointing leaders. Jesus said, not if, but when you fast. So mm -hmm. he was, you know, saying, I, you know, also, you know, I think that was pretty much saying when you're going to fast, it's, it's yeah. to be a Christian. And that's what broke the stronghold. So, um, yeah, that's what brought us back together. He had a dream and in the dream, he said, um, he woke up my mom that Thursday night and he said, Joanne, I've, I've, I've dreamed that Julie's coming back. And she was like, yeah, whatever. It's been seven years. And he said, mm -hmm. I saw her in our dining room eating dinner with us. I saw her and, and you know, her husband eating dinner um, just one night with us. And she was like, yeah, go back to bed. Hmm. And he called Friday and two or three weeks later, we were in their dining room eating dinner. And he told me about the dream. And I was like, oh my gosh, I prayed for God to talk to you in a dream. So it all came to pass that way. That's incredible. I mean, that, and that, that is one of those things where it's like how there is no answer, but God in that yeah. situation, you didn't make that happen. Your yeah. fasting was, you know, obedience, but ultimately it was God like moving through you and through your dad. But I'm sure when y'all reconciled, it wasn't just all like rainbows and unicorns. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and I'm glad you brought that up because forgiveness is such a difficult subject. And there's mm -hmm. a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness yes. is the choice we make. And it is, um, forgiveness really focuses on the offense Forgi and reconciliation, reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Yes. And so, um, initially when my husband and met with my daddy, actually, he didn't, my, they didn't even call me, he called my husband and, and my husband went down to talk to him that first, you know, after he called him that Friday. And my dad didn't say he was sorry. He didn't, you know, 
it was just kind of like, let's make peace type thing. And so when my husband came home the next day, he told me about it. I was like, I was so excited because I had fasted and prayed. And then I, after a couple of days, I was like, he never said he was sorry. Mm-hmm. That little stinker. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going back. He didn't say he was sorry. And so it wasn't until I was in BSF, like, I think a week later, Bible study fellowship, it was a Bible study. And Mm -hmm. she talked for 45 minutes on forgiveness. And I'm telling you, my chair was hot. My chair burned. I've never felt a physical burning on a chair, but it happened for 45 minutes. I was squirming around. I could not wait to get out of that chair. And I knew that God was saying, okay, you need to step your foot in. I was like, I don't trust him. I'm not going back. And God was saying, no, it's time. You need to go back. And you need to just let go of the I'm sorry's and you just need to start with peace. And so I did that. And it took a long time before there was an I'm sorry. I'd made the choice to start forgiving. And actually I had made the choice years ago to forgive them. Right. It started. Yeah. I don't think, I think you would, you had to make that choice before you could fast in hopes of reconciliation. You know, I think I, one of the things that I like to say is that Forgiveness does not require reconciliation, but reconciliation requires forgiveness. It sure does. You cannot reconcile. In my opinion, your reconciliation with your family would have been difficult if there had never been an apology. Because mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that is a, a part of it as well. What do you think, like other than, you know, your obedience in fasting and in taking those steps, what do you think, like, what's your biggest takeaway for people who are listening to this and they're like, uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. Like, lead me, like, help lead me in the way. Like, what's what's the thing that you tell people? I thought I have spent years reading about forgiveness, and I thought forgiveness. Once you said I forgive the person, that that was one and done, and it doesn't. It doesn't be so great. It'd be so. I think I had to forgive something for my parents last week. (laughs) So it is an ongoing process. When you go back to the family, the old dynamics are there. Um, You have to start setting boundaries. It is hard and it is my bent. And I feel like I'm the least person worthy to to talk about this because I hate the fact that I keep following back into Mm. self-pity. It goes back to the lies and reprogramming your brain to believing the truth and who you are in Christ. I, in fact, made note cards with scriptures and um, some of it had to do with anxiety. Some of it had to do with fear. I know you'd struggle some with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I really just targeted those things in my life that I knew I could deal with. You cannot control other people. I cannot control my parents. I cannot control my siblings. I cannot control anyone but me. And I have to do what God tells me to do. And I need to walk in the truth. And I know when I'm starting to go back to that old tape of you're not worthy, you're a mess, you know, God doesn't love you, you're not anywhere near perfect, that whole lie of, you know, all these years making everybody think you're perfect, you're such a joke, you know, all of that garbage that goes in your head, I have to go back and reprogram it. And I have to go back with the truth. Yeah. But and God, the great thing is that like God comes alongside you because he wants that for you as well. Like he wants his kids like walking and believing health, like the healthy truth. And so it's not all work that we have to do on our own. Thankfully, he wants us to believe those things. And I think he, like he, God is a God of reconciliation. I think that that's kind of why we were making those 
like differentiations early in the conversation, right? Of toxic and difficult and that sometimes you're supposed to walk away. And unfortunately, I think there are situations where you walk away and you're supposed to stay away. Yeah. But I think like always having your heart open to the option of reconciliation is what looks like Jesus. And some of us are lucky enough to get to actually walk it out. Yeah. And my sister chose to stay away. She, I am the only one in the whole family that talks to everyone. So I still have a sister that is estranged and I totally respect that. And I love her and I'm close to her and she's chosen not to, to go back. She just, you know, that's her choice and I totally respect it. So this is not like something I can tie up in a nice bow and tell you that it's just perfect. And like family Christmases are easy and perfect and like look Uh -uh. like a Hallmark movie. Like that's just not Uh -uh. how it works. (laughs) <laughs> but we all are walking in. I think being estranged seven years did do something because we know it's a miracle that um, that God is still restoring my family. Even in this last couple months, um, I am developing relationship with cousins and aunts that I haven't seen in 30 years. Yeah. Um, it is still a process. And to think just because today, I think the thing that I thought was that God was going to do this miraculous thing in one day. And God has chosen to restore my family as a process brick by brick. Yeah. It has been slow that I'm seeing things happen over time that I never thought would happen. Yeah. And, I, and that's where I lost faith so much of it through because there were days, there were years when nothing happened. Nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing. Or like right. setbacks, like it got yeah. worse or Dude. something, you know? Well, yeah. Well, I thought my dad was going to die and I was like, okay, this isn't resolved. And, right. you know, I'm never going to get this resolved. Right. Um, So I think the devil wants to give us all sorts of reasons why this isn't ever going to work. You know, my story somehow or another um, different than yours. Well, let me tell you, I went to count when I went to counseling, um, the guy I went to, he worked for Menrith Meyer. He'd already had 25 years. And he said, my family situation was probably the top three worst he had seen. Mm. Mm. Um, And that's not, just what happened with me and my sisters. It's what happened with my parents. They mm-hmm. had their own. Um, I think my dad's family is probably one of the most dysfunctional families. They are Italians and I can't really go into much detail about that. Yeah. But if you think about Italians in the, um, in the sixties in Dallas, my yeah. parents were part of that. Yeah. Not my parents, my grandparents were part of yeah. that. So from where my grandparents are to where I am, talk it's about a miracle. A miracle. Yeah. A miracle. Yeah. And the, so, and I love like one of my favorite things to talk about is like breaking generational curses yes. within your family. And that like I like to think that that's one of God's favorite things mm-hmm. is like getting to bust those apart and be like, no, no, yeah. no. Like these are my kids. They're gonna like have heaven on earth and like look different. And that's a decision that you get to make, you know, as you get older is like, am I going to stay a part of like what the generations have looked like, or am Mm -hmm. I like, because of Christ going to look different and that he empowers all of those efforts. And that sometimes estrangement is a tool for that to happen. Yeah. Who knows? God can use anything. Um, Who would have thought he would have used the worst things to, to, uh, you know, bring my story to life and that my parents are even okay you know, my parents did not want to talk about anything. And my parents have given me full permission to write a book. My, my mom wrote yeah. afterward on my book. That is so cool. So your book is Estranged, Finding Hope When Your Family Falls Apart. Where Can people just get that 
wherever they get books? Yes, you can get it on Amazon. You can really, I am on every digital platform you can possibly imagine, but on okay. paperback, I'm on Amazon and okay. digital. And where can people find and follow and like keep up with you online? I have a, a website called momremay.com. Instagram is Julie A. Plagans. Pinterest is Julie A. Plagans. And Facebook, Julie A. Plagans. And we'll link to all of that in your show description so that people can find it. Thank you for telling just like a really incredible story and being faithful to share like the hard, ugly parts that <laughs> I think people need to see because I think we can think reconciliation just looks really pretty and perfect. And it just it's doesn't. Not. So. No. And I, you know, I think, um, it's important for people to realize that, um, it, whether you reconcile or not, it, you have to, God commands us to forgive. That is mm-hmm. the most important thing. Amen. Um, and that you have forgiveness means choosing to do it first. And most of the times the feelings come later. And yes. You're not going to feel yes. it. You are not no. going to feel it. I had to start praying for my parents and that really helped. Yes. Um, painful to start praying for my parents. It's the worst. Yeah. But, you know, and also I would say, you know, in the last year, even during COVID, um, I, it was just my sister and me and my mom and dad, and it was for Christmas. And we, for about three or four hours, really talked through what had happened in our family. And okay. So I came back in 2017 and this is 21. So that is even now the, I walked away that day with so much healing yeah, um, and so much more forgiveness because I understood what happened to my parents mm-hmm. um, and, and that it, forgiveness comes in stages. It's like an onion. Mm-hmm. And it God's still helping me to forgive different. Every time I'm writing a book now and I'm having to work through some more pain, Yeah, and, you know, and that's difficult. So yeah. It is. I think that's what I want to leave your audience with is one thing that you can remember is forgiveness is a choice. The feelings come later. I love that. What a note to close it on. It's so good. So profound. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the crappy Christian podcast. And Hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.